Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. We are continuing our study in missions. I am trying to show you the foundation that we as a fellowship have. We know that the mission and message of the local church is an ancient mission and message that began in the garden and continues to this day. We've tried to show its connectedness between Psalm 22, Matthew 28, tying it to Daniel 7, Luke 24 that leaps us toward the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Today we'll look at 2, Acts 2, and work backward to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. These are large picture studies. The local church is God's means of covering the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. I know that we repeat Isaiah 11.9 and Habakkuk 2.14 often, but it is necessary for us to see our story, who we are as a people, in large of God's greater story. Thus, the local church, who we are as a family of families, is God's means of covering the earth with a knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. That's God's vision, what he sees, and that is our vision as a church. This vision, this objective, initially came to Adam and Eve, then through Abraham, and culminates in Christ to all the nations. The story tells the reader that the nations he rules over, we as a fellowship, are to make disciples of. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit we are witnessing to the veracity, the truthfulness of the biblical story. Thus, the mission and message of the local church is an ancient mission and message that began in the garden and continues to this day. And it is through this mission entrusted to us as a church and message that his vision comes to fruition. And our present sermon series is endeavoring to show the biblical proof for such a claim. One of my desires in this study, as I study the scripture, is to place it inside the bigger picture. The scripture has a million little pieces, and it is for us to put those pieces together. The mission and message entrusted to the church isn't something new, or discovered, or conflicted, or contrasted with what happened in the garden, continued through Israel, and entrusted to the church. From Genesis through Revelation, God is on mission. God is on mission. Right now, what we encounter in our circumstances isn't somehow a hiccup in what God has intended to do all along. We look at Genesis 3 and the fall of humanity into sin. That wasn't a hiccup. It wasn't God fumbling the ball. That is part of this entire process of God spreading the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. He has his hands on the wheel, and he is driving the bus of history and prophecy to its designed and ultimate end. It does not matter what appear to be potholes, ruts, bad weather, and barriers. He is and will bring his vision to his designed and ultimate end. This is what God is doing. Got his hands on the wheel, he's driving the bus, and he will achieve what he has desired to do. And my desire in this study, it's the last of our big picture studies as we think of missions, 
is to somehow, in some way, put it all together. Let us begin by reading several of our passages. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Now verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And then finally, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let us pray. Father, as we have read these passages, I pray that the Holy Spirit would connect them for us, that we would see the singularity of the story with Jesus at the center. Today, Father, we fully recognize and confess you are Yahweh, the one who provides. Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, said, You are the God who provides. On the mount of sacrifice, Abraham said to his son Isaac, You are the one who will provide concerning Yahweh. As the one who provides, you have never been alone or lonely. Within the triunity of God, you are eternally self-satisfied. Your desire to create comes with the simple pleasure of sharing all you are with your people. Today we recognize you as enough in this life and in the life to come. May all our desires find their fulfillment in you. As we study your word, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds so that we see the singularity of your word. Let us come to understand how our mission and message is an ancient mission and message that began in the garden and continues to this day. May this study fill our minds and hearts with endurance and with joy as we persevere in your word and in believing. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Although it is contested, the world's largest puzzle comes in at 51,300 pieces. 51,300 pieces. Now, if you can read the wall, it says, around the world in 42,000 pieces, the world's largest puzzle in one single image. And the puzzle that's made up of 51,300 pieces has eight parts. Each part can be made independent of each other, but then put together through clouds in the middle. But the longest continuous puzzle is 42,000 pieces. But the Bible has 66 books. It's made up of two testaments. We know that, the old and new. It was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and somehow in all of that, there's a single unified story with Jesus at the center. We understand that singularity and focus because of divine inspiration. The Holy Spirit guided these individuals in the writing of this text. And thus we have all of these pieces. 
And in many ways, it is a giant puzzle with multiple pieces all fitting together to give us a single picture. And our desire in this particular study is to see how the various pieces fit together. And for me, this idea, this information was incredibly electrifying when I saw that the Bible wasn't simply a conglomeration of various stories and pieces that had no interconnectedness. The Bible tells a single unified story, and at the center of that story is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're after. The biggest picture possible is this idea of vision. What is God's vision? Well, God's vision is the end for which everything has been created. What is God doing? Where is God going? Well, we often cite the passages of Isaiah 11:9 that God's vision in creating all things is that the entire earth, all of created matter, will be covered with a knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. Very simply put, the end of all things is for the glory of God. God will be glorified by all that is transpiring. Every single piece that God has created will fit together to give us a unified single picture. And when we see the picture, we will see Jesus. That's incredible. I hope this is something that you dream about, that you mumble in your sleep, that everything in all of life is pushing us toward that one incredible picture. His vision is world domination. And he alone and only will succeed. We have that thing within us that wants to control, that wants to have oversight and power. We corrupt it. God placed it there so that we would till the soil and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. But God alone is the one who will have world domination. And he alone and only will succeed in this. When we come to Acts chapter 2, which we will consider in just a moment... The day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which we read earlier, assures us that what God promises, he will perform. What God says he will do, he will do. And what he wills, he will work. There is nothing, nowhere that can stop God from doing what he desires. He will perform all that he has promised. Isn't that encouraging? We think of what is going on in our world today. We prayed for Vietnam and we think there's complete and utter chaos in these situations. How could God possibly be in control? Well, there are things in this world that we cannot understand. And yet God is moving his vision and mission forward. And we pray soon our Lord Jesus Christ will come and thoroughly straighten all that is crooked. We long for that day. What we see in Acts chapter 2 is God fulfilling a promise. And I'm wanting us to walk back and see exactly what's taking place. And I've only cited four passages. The first is Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. It's the day of Pentecost. The paragraph is larger than those four verses, but we capture the idea. The day of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Pentecost was a harvest feast. It was celebrating God's provision and giving them crops. It looked back at God's past provision, and it would look forward to God's future provision. And thus, the day of Pentecost, 5, 50, it was 50 days after Passover. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they're told to wait for the promise. 
when the promise comes, they then will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost regions, to the end of the world. And Acts, the book of Acts, takes us through that journey. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we find the disciples waiting. They're in that 10-day period. Now, I personally am of the opinion that they had no idea that the day of Pentecost would have fulfilled that promise. So they could have been waiting for a very long period of time. But in the providence of God, Pentecost fulfills the promise. And Pentecost, for us, changes everything. It goes from a feast of harvest to a celebration of gifting. God gives us, on that day, the Holy Spirit. The church, on that day, is formed. I'll note that in just a moment. So you have Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Acts chapter 1, where the promise is reiterated to the disciples as they wait in that 10-day period. Acts 2 is the fulfillment of the promise that was stated in Luke 24, in Acts 1, and in the upper room of John. Acts 1 then shows how expansive the vision's goal. It's to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And then Luke 24, Matthew 28, the ascension, where we really have the message that we are to be preaching to all the nations, the forgiveness of sins found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But where does all this come from? Well, the reason why we could have skipped stones all the way back, but the reason why I then cite Genesis 1.28 is because in the garden, Adam and Eve are given this message. They were designed and built to till the soil, expand the boundaries of the garden until they touch, and as they are expanding and extending the garden until the glory of God, the knowledge of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea, they are to be having children, and their children are to be having children, and their children's children are to be having children until the entire earth is filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. But Adam and Eve are told, till the soil, fill the earth. Till it, fill it. And while you're tilling and filling, subdue, have dominion. That's our place in this context. And what has been entrusted to us in Matthew 28 and reiterated in Acts 1-8, then fulfilled in Acts 2, goes all the way back to these ancient promises in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And thus we say that the message and the mission of the local church has ancient roots. It reaches all the way back to this very moment in time. There are four thoughts that I want to talk about, and each one of them are embedded in our passages, and we'll cite them as we go along. The first is Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, remember the disciples are waiting in the upper room, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. And I would probably argue this is the upper room. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the house, the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues like fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was given them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when they... And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. What's happening on this day? 
Well, what you have in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4 is that the vision that God gave for creating is being fulfilled. There are two words that we have to distinguish. The one is fulfillment and the other one is consummated. It's being fulfilled but has not yet been fully consummated. There is still a future day, a future day when heaven and earth will fully meet. And the entire earth will be covered with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. We hear that and read of it in Revelation 21 and 22. But what Acts 2 does is show us that the curse is being reversed. It's completing a picture, the vision's fulfillment. If we were to take a pitcher of water and we were to pour it in a pan and we saw that water hit the pan and slowly begin to spread, at some point the pitcher is emptied. And yet when we talk about this moment in time, there is no emptying of the pitcher. What began shall one day cover the entire earth as the waters cover the sea. The vision's fulfillment. Two things happen on this day. The first is that the church is formed and that it is the temple of God. It is a reversal of Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 22 to 25. In Ezekiel 11, the nation of Israel sees the Holy Spirit of Shekinah glory leave the tabernacle, or temple, rather. And now we see the Spirit returning to the temple. The Shekinah glory is returning to the temple. So we know that from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, that we, you all, are referred to as the temple of God. We have within us the abiding, the indwelling Holy Spirit. The second thing we note is not only the beginning of the church, but the returning of the Shekinah glory. This is seen in two ways. The coming of the Spirit. What John spoke of in the upper room discourse, Jesus says, it is necessary for me to leave in order that the other would come, the Holy Spirit. That same idea is then reiterated in Luke 24 when Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father. It's reiterated in Acts chapter 1. In fact, I'm going to turn the page and read Acts chapter 1, verse 4. It says, In gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard of from me. So we know of this future installment, this future fulfillment. And it happens in Acts chapter 2. The coming of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of Luke 24. It is the promise of Acts chapter 1. The second thing we see in fulfillment is not only the beginning of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the returning of the Shekinah glory in the temple, but also the sign of tongues. I read an interesting statement, which I believe captures the thought well. It says, ever since the early church fathers, commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. At Babel... Languages were confused. At Pentecost, languages were unified so that everyone could hear the speech in their own tongue. At Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered. In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ, prefiguring the great day when the redeemed company will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. At Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven, whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. What's happening in Acts 2? Acts 2 is fulfillment. Acts 2 is the fulfilling of a promise. 
What we need to see is how the mission and message of the local church is an ancient mission and message that began in the garden and continues to this day. On the day of Pentecost, the vision that God has for creation is being fulfilled. It is now unfolding. And what you and I are a part of as a local church is this unfolding. God is reaching in us and through us to those around us. He is extending his vision until the entire earth is covered with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. We go from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we've just read that they were told to wait, Luke 24, in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of this promise, for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. It builds off of what we read in Luke 24, verse 49. It says in Luke 24, 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we know from Luke chapter 24, it reaches into Acts chapter 1, which is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And notice the progression that is noted in our text. It says that the vision being fulfilled is fulfilling the vision's goal. And what is the goal? The goal is to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost regions of the world. And really, that's how Acts is laid out. The goal of God's vision is to go global. And I think it's more than just earth. I think it is a cosmic, universal coverage where everything, everywhere, at all times, shouts his glory. But what is done in Acts 2 finds its footing in Acts chapter 1. Acts 2 begins it. In Acts chapters 1 through 7, you have Jerusalem. In 8 through 12, you have Judea, Samaria. You see the spread of the gospel. And then finally, in 13, with the sending of the Apostle Paul by the church of Antioch, it goes to the ends of the earth where Paul finally, in Acts 28, ends up in Rome. And, and I want to believe that as a congregation, you've heard these things before. But what's super cool to me is that Acts is telling us that what God promised is coming to pass. The vision of God is not failing. It's not failing. If we were living in that time period, we would think, man, incredible things are happening. But we live in this time period, and you know what? Incredible things are happening. It's amazing to realize how global the gospel has gone. Is there still more that must be done? Absolutely. But we're not being defeated. God is being celebrated. And that vision that God has for everything will indeed come to pass. So Acts 2 is fulfilling Acts 1. Acts 1 tells us how far the reach is going to be. It's going to be a global, cosmic reach. And by the time we get to the end of Acts chapter 28, we are to go, wow! Nothing is going to stop God from accomplishing what he designed. Nothing. And you and I as the church are a part of that heritage. The mission and message of the local church is an ancient mission and message that began in the garden and continues to this day. The next tie-in that I want us to see is not only Acts chapter 2 tells us that what God envisioned, Acts 1, is coming to pass. You see the vision's fulfillment, the vision's goal. Now notice the vision's message. What are we supposed to be doing as a local church? I'm going to take us all the way back to Luke 24. In Luke 24, verses 46 and 47... 
The Bible reads as follows. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. He would be crucified, he would die, and on the third day he would rise again from the grave. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins as a consequence of his perfect law-abiding life, because he is the fulfillment of the seed promise, who can now accomplish perfectly, infinitely, the blood picture. The means to God's end is the seed promise and blood picture. Jesus is the fulfillment of both. And because of that, repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, notice this, to all the nations beginning where? Jerusalem. Luke 24 ties us to Acts 1. Acts 2 is a fulfillment of that promise. We know where this is all heading. It's a cosmic, global thing. But what are we to be saying while we are going? We're to be preaching Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, For I have decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Doesn't that sound overly simplistic? Doesn't it sound somewhat redundant? Isn't it possible that we could become bored with Christ crucified? Truly, you jest. That's what Paul preached. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. In Galatians 6, 14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what the world needs more than anything else? It's not a trick question. Jesus. You know what they need to hear more than anything else? Jesus. I still cannot watch the news without losing my mind. But you know what they need to hear? Jesus. And if we don't, who will? It has to be about Jesus. That's our message. That's how the vision of God finds its fulfillment. It is a word-driven message. Luke wants us to understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of all these ancient promises. He is our message. And the idea that controls and governs all other ideas is Jesus. Peter's words in Acts chapter 2, 14 through 41, confirms the Christocentricity of the story. How does that message get out? By the spreading of the word of God. The vision of God fulfilled spreads as we preach Christ crucified. Joel chapter 2, Peter cites. Peter says in Acts 2, this is that, the Joel 2 prophecy. Fulfilled? Absolutely. Consummated? Not yet. Joel 2 tells us what is now happening was indeed foretold. Peter confirms the Christocentric nature of our message by tying it back to Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. The Old Testament proclaims Jesus. And that's what we are as a local church to be doing. Acts 6, 7, Acts 12, 24, Acts 19, 20 all tells us that as the word of God went forward, the church increased. What is the word that is going out? Christ crucified. He was crucified. He died and was buried. But on the third day, he rose again. 
in fulfillment of all the ancient promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of the seed promise. He is the culmination of the blood picture, the means to the end. I am so encouraged as one who opens up the Word of God and speaks. I'm so encouraged that the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and does a sure work in the people of God. Isaiah 55, 11 reads, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. You know what we need to do is proclaim the word. We need to go out there and share Jesus. We are not the ones who control the outcome. God is. But he assures us that the vision of God, the mission of God, is going forward as we preach word, preach gospel. When Paul was writing to Timothy, he said in chapter 2, verse 9, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, I am bound in these chains, but the word of God is not imprisoned. Wow. Paul understood the dynamic nature of God's word in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. What does our world need to hear? Christ crucified. That word accomplishes God's purpose. You and I are not responsible for the outcome. All we do is share Christ crucified. All we have to do is unleash it. The mission and message of the local church is an ancient mission and message. It goes all the way back to the garden and continues to this day. But where do we find the basis for such a statement, for such a claim? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, notice the language of the text. It says in Genesis 1, 28, And God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Till the soil, fill the earth, subdue and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What Acts 2 does is fulfill the vision of God. Adam and Eve are told, till and fill. What are we told to do? God created a place where his people might dwell with him and their joy might be full. The garden in Eden was to be an ever-expanding experience that would cover the earth. That's what it was supposed to do. They were to be tilling and growing the garden and populating the earth until the knowledge of his glory covered the earth like the waters cover the sea. I, I find it interesting. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9 was written around 700 B.C., give or take a few years Habakkuk 2.14 is after the exile, and both of them make similar statements as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Well, what I find interesting is in Numbers 14.21, it reads, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That idea in the Pentateuch, the earliest books of the Bible, was already reiterating what was true in Genesis 1 verse 28. As we reach the New Testament in Matthew 28, Jesus gives us the same command. He tells us to be fruitful and multiply. Only he uses different language. What is the language he says to us? 
He says, go and make disciples. He is saying the same thing. Pentecost signals the dawning of the age of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit in God's people is to empower them for witness to all the nations. And that is exactly what we see happening in the book of Acts. It is from this fulfillment we see the result of a gathered people. Why? Because the mission and message of the local church, the mission we have been entrusted with, the message that we have been entrusted with is an ancient mission. It's an ancient message. And we are to preach that and stay on mission. It began in the garden and continues to this day. We need not worry or fear as to whether or not the mission is being carried out or the vision being fulfilled. It is. And why? Because God is behind all this. God is driving the bus of both history and prophecy. And it will fulfill all that he has designed it to do. Well, let's keep this in context. We're talking about missions. The mission of the church is the mission of God. We have to know where he's going. That's his vision. We look at an event like the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and it ties to Acts 1, that once we have received the promise, we are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the world. Acts 2 is the fulfillment of that promise, and the book of Acts shows us the geographical spread, the fulfillment of promise. Luke 24, which is the companion volume to Acts, gives us the message, preach Christ crucified, and we see that in the Apostle Paul. But where does all this come from? Genesis 1, 28. Just like Adam and Eve, so also the local church. We are to be making disciples. We are to be tilling and filling. We do that as a family of families, as a community of faith. So what do we know? Well, three things. First of all, what has been, is, and will be. What has been, is, and will be. There is no break, no break. There has never been a point in time when the vision and mission of God has failed. You and I are a part of that. The second thing is that the church reaches, the local church, and I'm not saying the church was in the garden, but the mission entrusted to us of making disciples, the mission entrusted to us of preaching Christ crucified, reaches all the way back to the garden in Eden and stretches all the way forward to Revelation 21 and 22. You and I have parents, and they go all the way back to Genesis, and we have great, 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 great grandchildren who reach all the way forward to Revelation 21 and 22. We are a part of that story. Now, I don't know if your mind is able to wrap itself around it, but folks, that's how big this is, and we are a part of that incredible, incredible family. The church, the church should not and need not play defense. We are to be playing offense. We are not to be building bigger walls and deeper moats. We are to be playing offense. We are to be building bridges. We are to be getting out there and doing it. That's how God designed us, to till and to fill. He designed us to make disciples. We are living in the reality of garden truth. 
There's nothing that can stop God from keeping his promise to prepare a place where we will be with him for our joy. Isn't that incredible? No matter how poorly you feel or perform, God is fulfilling all of his promises. And we are participants in those fulfilled promises. And then thirdly, finally, the shadow currently exists. Acts 2 is fulfillment, but not consummation. So we're still in shadow state. But the reality is closer than you can imagine. Jesus Christ is coming to thoroughly straighten all that is crooked. That is a promise that we live with each and every day. Together as a family of families, God is fulfilling his purpose in and through us to those around us. And it is all for the glory of God. We do not live with defeat. We live with achievement and conquer. That's where we are. We're not playing defense as a church. We're to play offense and spread the gospel. And that's what God is choosing to do both in us and through us to those around us. Let us close with a word of prayer. Father, we look at a study like this, and it is big. Its intent is to say that every single piece of this puzzle fits, and it gives us a singular picture, and the picture is of Jesus. One day, Father, he is coming again, and we trust soon. And when we see him, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Today we have sung songs of redemption, the spotless substitutionary sacrifice of your son for a sinful people. We know that he is the king of kings. We have learned that what has been is and will be. This fills us with hope. We cannot be discouraged. We are to be encouraged. There is no break in your vision and your mission. It is amazing for us to realize that your church reaches all the way back to the Garden in Eden and stretches all the way forward to Revelation 21 and 22. What an amazing thing. Help us, Father, not to simply build the walls or dig ditches and play defense, but to build bridges, fill in gaps, and play offense. Father, help us to realize that we are living in the reality of Garden Truth. There is nothing that can stop you from keeping your promise to prepare for us, your people, a place where we will be with you and for our joy to be full. We fully acknowledge, Father, that we are living in shadow. We see fulfillment but not consummation. But we are confident that the reality is closer than we think. Thus, let us live with expectancy and engagement. Let us be your church. Father, we offer this prayer through the advocacy and intercessory ministry of the Son and the Spirit. Amen.